As I mentioned in the last half hour, we talked about the rising threat of cyber attacks on countries such as Canada. Well, it's not as if the federal government hasn't been working on legislation surrounding that threat. It is establishing a framework called Bill C-26 that aims to better shield systems vital to national security and give authorities new tools to respond to those emerging dangers in cyberspace. C-26, it's called, as I mentioned, um, under it, key enterprises in the banking and telecom industries would be required to improve cybersecurity and report digital attacks. We talked about that in the last half hour, uh, or possibly face penalties if they don't. Now, the bill proposes giving authorities the ability to enforce measures through audit powers and fines. It would allow for criminal penalties in cases of non-compliance, so it's pretty serious or strict. It all sounds promising, right? Well, a new report from the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab claims that parts of it aren't actually uh, promising, but downright alarming. It makes 29 recommendations aimed at making the rules more transparent and creating more accountability. So what exactly is the problem? Joining me now with more on that is the report's author, Christopher Parsons, who is a senior research associate at the Citizen Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. So just to uh, to walk back a bit, Bill C-26, just so people understand what it's all about, in a nutshell, what is it attempting to do? Yeah, so I think everyone understands that cybersecurity is a pressing issue, and especially it's important that our critical infrastructure is secured, such as our telecommunications providers, um, our health networks, uh, education systems, banking, and so forth. So what this legislation would do is, one, it would require telecommunications companies as well as other critical infrastructure providers to build security plans and mitigation response plans, which I think we can all agree, probably a good thing if they don't have it already, they really should. Yes. And the other thing that would do is it would give the government the ability when it comes to telecommunications providers in particular to impose a number of actions on them, such as to do anything, and that's actually in the legislation, that is necessary in the Minister of Industry's uh, view, to secure telecommunications networks from cybersecurity threats. So that's the goal, and it actually aligns with what we see in other jurisdictions, such as in Australia, the United Kingdom, the United States. So it's legislation that is of a kind of our allies. The challenge or deficiency that we identify in this report is that many of the powers are arguably overbroad or not well enough defined. And the legislation also lacks what we consider to be necessary accountability and transparency features. And absent those features, we worry that in addition to this being problematic legislation in Canada, authoritarian governments or, or governments in repressive states could point to the legislation and say, aha, we'll just do sort of what, what Canada has. And we'll use it for nefarious purposes, but nonetheless, we could have like the fig leaf of we're doing what democratic co- countries do. And so those are like the high, high level uh, reasons for the, behind the bill and some of the challenges in the way it's currently drafted. Yeah, if we could, if we take it down a step, I mean, if we go back to the idea of, of, of forcing companies to have to have plans in effect to to protect from uh, protect infra- uh, critical infrastructure, you would assume they're already in place. But I guess in this case, this is just making sure that it's consistent. Is that right? Well, that's actually one of the really good questions about this piece of legislation. So I spoke with people in government for the past while. Um, and my question has always been, is this legislation being drafted because we have a problem? Is it the critical infrastructure providers and telecom providers in particular are not taking cybersecurity seriously? Like, do we need this today to fix the problems of yesterday? Or is this instead legislation that's looking forward and saying, OK, in the future, we could have problems. The government needs tools in their toolkit 
in order to improve best behavior. And I still don't know which of those uh, cases is driving the legislation, despite months of trying to get that answer out. So why well, does would, legislation exist? That's alarming. That's a bit alarming, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's a little confusing, right? Because if it's to fix historical problems, a lot of these powers might make more sense. But if it's to fix the future, they're weirdly undefined how these powers could apply. And that's really problematic. If you look at the problems of the past that these might be addressing, I mean, sometimes you get the sense, and, and you, you're you're the expert here, but sometimes you get the sense that in government, someone says, we need a cybersecurity policy, let's make one. And then, and then they send off people to go about doing it without ever thinking about why exactly they're doing it. Um, and that's not just about cybersecurity. That can be an issue right across the board when it comes to certain legislation. Entirely. And I mean, to give you an example of one thing this legislation would let government do, which it arguably can't do right now, is a couple months ago, um, the federal government of Canada announced that they were going to have their long-awaited Huawei and ZTE ban. Um, and then they released a policy statement to say, here's specifically what has to come out. But they still didn't have the powers to do that. And so Bill C-26 is actually the legislation that would put in, that would empower the government to ban Huawei and ZTE formally. So that's one example of the government not having those powers, and now they want them in in part, this legislation will do that, but it will do a lot more in addition to that, up to and including, you know, cutting off uh, service. So, you know, a service provider could be compelled to say, you know, you're no longer allowed to offer this service. You can't uh, take these software patches. Um, really, uh, anything that the government imagines is necessary could be ordered. Um, and then the judicial process where a telecommunications provider says, hold on, that's way too much. It's a it's a problem. Because normally when you go before a judge, you get to see the evidence and you get to contest the evidence, right? Under Bill C-26, however, should a telecommunications provider seek judicial review, they're not necessarily entitled to see the evidence. So one of the recommendations we say is that might make some sense for national security purposes. You know, maybe telecom executives shouldn't know what the NSA has told uh, the Canadian government. But there should be a friend of the court that's appointed that can create that adversarial situation before the federal court just uh, judge when that judge thinks it's necessary. So that's just a way of adding accountability, ensuring these orders and regulations are appropriate, and ensuring that the legislation comports with democratic norms and values. Yeah, I mean, just try to strike a balance here, right, between need to know and and, and need to know in, in many ways, uh, because, you know, as a population and as a people and as, as companies, uh, they do have a right to have a certain amount of information, at least a certain amount of transparency and a certain amount of recourse if they happen to disagree. And what you're saying is in C-26, the government's taking on powers without really defining why they need them or how they'll account for them. Yeah, we think that, you know, national security is, is almost inherently a space that thrives in darkness. Um, and I understand that. Right. So, you know, we don't want the government of Canada to put out a press release saying that, like, there's a major vulnerability in our banking sector. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. know, not what we yeah. want. So having gags, having some secrecy, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm not delusional, but that secrecy needs to be bounded. So as an example, should a telecommunications provider receive an order, there can be a gag attached to it. I understand the purpose of that gag, but the legislation as it's written now doesn't have a time limit or a condition whereupon that gag is lifted. So, you know, it could be that 90 days after the order is issued, it could be after the telecommunications company does whatever they're told to do, or some combination thereof, that eventually there's some accountability for what the government is doing. And that's important so that citizens understand how the law is being used. And also, frankly, how often um, companies are fully or not fully complying with these orders. If it turns out the government's issuing all these orders, they're necessary, and companies aren't doing them, we have a serious problem with our companies. And that will necessitate 
uh, further political activity and possibly legal activity as well. Yeah, if you if you boil it down to why it matters to the individual Canadian, for instance, what would you what would you say? Yeah, so if we're talking individual Canadians, a lot of this sounds sort of like, okay, well, I don't run critical infrastructure, so how does this affect me? One of the ways is this: if you are, say, a rural uh, internet user, then your provider could get an order, and that order could say, you know, you need to, that provider has to stop using certain equipment that's used to service you. Um, and when that, when and if that equipment isn't available, or there isn't like an alternate vendor, then you may have a degradation of service. Moreover, you could get into a situation where the government starts issuing orders, and companies can actually implement them, which would be good, but it's not going to be free. And so those extra costs, I mean, maybe some companies will just bear the cost and sort of grit their teeth and take a lower profit margin, but others won't be able to do that or won't do that. And so that could lead to higher costs for individuals. And so, you know, it's on the one hand, a pocketbook issue potentially. And on the other hand, it could frankly just be that if you're in a, a rural community or an Aboriginal community, you could have real challenges in maintaining your current quality of service, depending on the nature of the orders and regulations that are issued. Christopher Parsons is with us this half hour. He's a senior research associate at the Citizen Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. We're talking about uh, the Bill, Bill C-26, a cybersecurity uh, legislation the government is looking at, and a new report written by uh, the Citizen Lab that has some suggestions on how to improve it, uh, concerns around transparency, about remedies, about uh, exactly whether or not some of these powers are too vague and may lead other countries to look at them and use them differently. Uh, Chris, one of the things I found really interesting was in your in your solutions, where they all seem quite quite straightforward, but you had a lot of recommendations on how to improve this uh, th- this legislation. What are some of them? Yeah, so I guess I should start by saying like the, the problem of being someone who spends a lot of time with lawyers is you start trying to figure out language to fix everything. So yeah. it started with a lot fewer recommendations and then gradually uh, built up Broadly, the recommendations are are meant to improve the accountability of this legislation. So we're not saying the legislation should be scrapped. We're not saying it should be thrown out. We're not saying it should be rewritten. We think it should be mended. That's the first thing I think is really important to note. So we've talked about a couple of things that could be done. Um, One of the important ones is just constraining how the legislation could be used. And so if you go through the legislation or if you read the report on the Citizen Lab's website, you'll see the things that we've suggested is remove words like may and replace it with will. Or when the government's identifying the range of threats they're talking about, delimit it to three kinds of threats they're talking about as opposed to having including in front of it. Now, these are all grammatical fixes, but they're important because what they're intended to do is limit how the government might use this legislation in the future, such that if a new threat emerges, which, you know, let's be honest, there's a ch- good chance in the next five or 10 years, things will change a little bit. The government will have to come back and make a minor amendment to the legislation. That will mean that Canadians understand that things are different. And there'll be a debate as to the new powers the government is seeking. We just think that's an appropriate way to go through national security legislation, as opposed to passing legislation that is broad and sort of vague and could be used for anything. And while that has utility for organizations in government, it's problematic and it makes legislation illegible to both legislators and the public alike. Well, usually, yeah, usually the problems lie and the, the devil's always in the details. The problems lie with terms like may or or sha- or may or could as opposed to will or would right it's uh that that's where the issues are what are the concerns about about the lack of of um, or at least the the breadth of interpretation here you, you mentioned earlier that other countries might look in, at ours and say well i can put a will a, sh- a may or will or or would in there and then use it differently than canada might 
Yeah. So, you know, again, we live in a democratic country. I'm, I'm not expecting, you know, any of our political parties, no matter the strike, the leader, anything like that, to, you know, turn out to be like an authoritarian like we see in our other uh, uh, adversary countries. I mean, we don't have the political system. We don't have the people. But you can imagine some of the concerns that we often read and hear about in China as an example, right? There's a lot of concern that the Chinese government could compel uh, parties within China to make modifications to their products without disclosure. Well, it's not 101 to 1, but it's not entirely dissimilar either. The idea that governments can issue orders to private organizations and have them do things for the government at their behest with no transparency is something we already see adversary nations doing. And I just think it's bad practice to adopt those sorts of behaviors in a democratic society. Now, does that mean that it might be a little bit slower to do it in Canada if you have more checks, balances, and accountability? You know, in some cases, the answer, frankly, might be yes. I don't think very many, to be honest, but sure, we can imagine one or two. But that's one of the cons of a democracy. Sometimes we move a little bit more slowly, but it ensures that the activities undertaken by the government are understood by legislators, judges, and, of course, citizens. Now, you've gotten together with many other organizations to write to uh, to the minister, to the ministry, to, to, to seek more clarity on some of these issues. Have you heard back? Are they are they receptive to 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 advice on this one? Well, the email didn't bounce, so that's step one. Um, but we haven't yet had a, a direct response back. I do know since releasing the report that uh, most of the political parties um, in, in Ottawa are reading this report. They are carefully studying it. Um, and I look forward to having some meetings with uh, at least members of the opposition, and I hope also with uh, the liberals as well. And, and certainly I know inside industry, civil society, and academia, people are suddenly enlivened. I think that the goal of this report was to sort of explain what the legislation is, why it's important, how it adheres to what our allies are doing, but also then offer what I think are fairly good faith uh, proposed amendments. The nice thing about cybersecurity on like many political issues is it really is an apolitical issue. I mean, this isn't something where any of the political parties you know, are for or against cybersecurity. Everyone is for it. And so my hope is that through the parliamentary process, uh, the government and opposition parties can actually come together and fix this legislation such that we have legislation fit for purpose and also meets uh, our expectations as Canadians in the kind of democratic uh, accountability that should be baked into all of our legislation and especially security legislation. Well, Christopher Parsons, thank you so much for uh, for clarifying what C26 is all about and your advice on how to improve it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me.